I think my life just flashed before me. That was, that was pretty much me in the red, okay? How many of you can relate to that? Okay, how many of you are like, I just heard that song and this whole stay positive thing, and you're ready to throw something at me. I was scared. I heard this, I heard this early in the week, and I'm, I was thinking, oh, man, I, they're gonna throw, I'm going to be hiding back here. They're going to be throwing stuff at me. because. But you know what? It, it actually, I've listened to it a few more times, and, and I started to sway. And I think by the end of this series, I'm going to see, you're going to be like the blue guy, just like singing along, whistling, and you're going to be swaying. Hello? <laughs> you're not there yet. It's okay. It's okay. But I know you like that song, right? Stay positive. Be positive. Well, anyways, it's great that you guys are here. We're starting a new series, and it's obviously called Stay Positive. And it's amazing how quickly, like, so many people, I, I can fall into negativity. It's crazy. So easy. And usually I don't even realize it. In fact, how many of you would agree around the world today that, first of all, it's crazy, right? The world's crazy. But there's almost an epidemic of negativity. Just people looking at things and seeing the downside over and over again. So for the next few weeks, and, and hopefully you're not like, oh man, it's the little red guy and the blue guy again. But we're going to be looking at God's word together. and We're going to be talking about some of the positive biblical qualities. And here's the key, all right? Because if, if you're like me, you know, when I first saw this, it's stay positive, I'm optimistic. I thought, you've heard of Tony Robbins, right? The motivational speaker. I'm like, Brian, don't you throw me that Tony Robbins motivational speaker. Because you're probably like me, where I, I really like his brother, Baskin Robbins. That's usually my, my motivational, that's my motivational thing. So, but when you hear this, you're like, oh no, I'm, I'm, it's, you almost feel like that stuff, like medicine, like I'm going to be sick. You know, it's so sweet. But here's the deal. Here's the key. Hear this today. We're going to let God's word transform us into people who see him. That is the key. Who see him working in our lives. And therefore, we are positive. It's God's word. And we need to see it. You see, we don't always see him working in our lives. And so often, the good, the bad, and the ugly in life coexist together. But we only see the bad and ugly, right? We don't see the good. We don't stay positive. Today is about optimism. And I'm optimistic is the title of this. So look at the person sitting next to you. Don't lie. And ask them this. And Well, tell them. Either say, I'm a, a half glass empty kind of person or I'm a half glass kind of full person. All right, go. Okay, okay. Now, now, if you know the person sitting next to you, say, was I lying to you or not? And if you're married, don't even answer that question. Just, just be silent, okay? Don't even, don't even go there, okay? But it's interesting. In the world, some people are more naturally optimistic, right? And some people are more naturally pessimistic. See, an optimist... Uh, I'm sorry, I, you know when you have these weird things on stage, which, you know, or just in life, that you think of something? I just thought of Optimus Prime. Thank you, Scott. I don't know why, but... <laughs> sorry, it was a moment that you don't say out loud in a crowd, but I had one. So an optimist will not think of Optimus Prime for the Transformers, but will say... My cup overflows, you know that verse? And they'll say, right on, God's blessing me, God's in my life. But a pessimist will say, my cup overflows, Lord, there's going to be a mess in my house tonight. You know what I mean? We look at it, which one are you? Don't lie. I think we all kind of have a little bit in us, right? 
we kind of look at stuff. See, my grandpa, this is what I call my grandpa, died at 98. Most amazing man, most positive man I've ever known. In fact, when I think about him, I think of Domino's, Three Stooges, his Bible, and a man of God. That's what I think. That's a pretty good combination, I think. Three Stooges, Domino's, and the Word of God. But I think of him, he was amazing. My grandpa, he would always say this, and finish the sentence if you know it. If life gives you lemons, make... Or lemonade, if you're French, Canadian, something... That's not true. Lemonade, that's for the Canadian in the house. So, but let me tell you, my grandpa, the most positive person in the world, experienced the Great Depression. He was poor. He had a stepmom that didn't love him. He had a debilitating disease when he was little that he couldn't go outside the house. And he had a wife who died a terrible form of cancer. Yet I saw him read his Bible every time I was with him. And I never saw him defeated by life. Now, that didn't mean he didn't wrestle, but I never saw him defeated by life. That's optimistic. But let me tell you what optimism isn't. Optimism isn't denying reality. It's not burying your head in the sand and looking around under the sand saying, oh, it's all unicorns and happy, happy bubblegum stuff when life just stinks. Because sometimes life just stinks, right? Sometimes we're like stuck And we're like, what is happening? It's not denial. It's not a cover-up. Some of the most godly people I've ever met are ones who experienced the greatest pains. They've embraced the deepest of sorrows and fought through to stand on God's truth. It's Jacob. You remember Jacob from the Bible? God changes his name to Israel. It's Jacob when he lost his beloved wife, Rachel. You know, in the Bible, for many of the, the people in the Bible, it says they loved God. And I know Jacob loved God, but it never records that. It says he loved Rachel. It talks a lot about Rachel and how he loved. He worked, I can't remember how many years for Rachel. He loved Rachel. But when Rachel was in childbirth, when she's giving birth to their son, she dies and she names her son Ben-Omi, which means son of my sorrow. But Jacob calls him Benjamin, son of my right hand. You see, optimism is a choice of what to call your circumstances. Some days you're going to feel like Ben-Omi. Some days you're going to feel sorrow. Some days you're going to feel like, God, you just have to carry me because I'm not going to make it. It's Ben-Omi. And there's other days it's Benjamin. But we feel like God showed up. I'm trusting in you, Jesus. I'm trusting in you. It's Benjamin. But Jacob had a choice to see things from God's perspective or his perspective. Jacob loved Rachel. And at the end of the passage, when he's burying his beloved wife, It says something really interesting. See, up to that point, it's used Jacob. It's used his name, Jacob. But at the very end, it says this. It says, then Israel moved on. It uses the name that God gave him. And I think it does this because we can only truly move on from the difficulties in life with God's help. We need him. We need God in our lives. You see, moving on is not forgetting. In fact, Jacob would visit that gravesite. Jesus, or Jacob would continually talk about Rachel. He loved Joseph and Benjamin. He cherished them. He cherished the memories. But he moved on and he refused to call his son or his circumstances Ben-Omi in the face of tragedy. Let me restate, biblical optimism is a choice. But the reality is, it's a fight. And some days your circumstances will be Ben-Omi. And it's not just in our personal lives. The world is out of control. 
When you look at the ISIS and all the crazy things that happen, I say it this way, the world is crazy. Two Zs, three Es. Crazy. It's, what's happening? It's crazy. All over the world today, it seems like people are looking for reason to be critical. And reality, when we look at it, we're like, man, what is happening in the world? But it's not just the world, it's us. It's almost like we talk ourselves into having a bad life. Well, I don't have what it takes. My life stinks. I can't stand where I am in life. And literally, we say this to ourselves over and over again until you're like, life does stink. Where is God? You see, we will often find what we're looking for. We will often find what we're looking for. I love the illustration of two birds, a buzzard and a hummingbird. Can't get any more crazy buzzard lanky and then a hummingbird, that sweet, peppy kind of thing. But every single day, what does a buzzard find? A buzzard swerves around, circles, and finds dead things. Things that are negative, negative people, negative ideas. But every single day, what does a hummingbird find? Sweet things, day after day, proving you will always find what you're looking for. And look, that's not just a cheesy pastor illustration. Proverbs 11.27 says the same thing. Listen to this. If you search for good, you will find favor. But if you search for evil, it will find you. You don't have to go searching that far to be negative. Negativity will find you. You see, I'm not optimistic based on what I feel or see. I'm optimistic based on what God says. That's the difference. This isn't pop psychology. This is God's word and how it transforms our minds if we will allow it to, if we'll choose to look at our circumstances and say, Benjamin, even in the midst of heartbreak and pain, I told you the key was this. If we're going to let God's word transform us into people who see him working in our lives, we need to realize a few things. First thing is we need to see that Jesus is in the storm. I love what it says in Psalms, just the, the coolest, the Lord is my shepherd verse. And, and usually whenever somebody says, oh, that's what the world loves, everybody goes to that Psalm, I'm kind of like, I'm going to find something different. But I have to admit, I love Psalm 23. I love the pictures that God has in there of, his, of, of him being the shepherd and us the sheep. But I love what it says in Psalm 23, 6. It says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Today, Jesus is trying to catch you. He's trying to get his arm around you. Are you letting him? But I love the goal. Hear this goal, the second part of this verse. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He has a goal for you. You have a purpose, and he has a destination in mind, and he is chasing after you. God is chasing you to your destination. See, sometimes it doesn't seem like God's caught up, right? Sometimes it seems like we're out in that storm, and we're like, Lord, where are you? Uh, I'm kind of like in this boat, and, and it's kind of crazy. And, and if you could see, my heart is breaking right now. Jesus, where are you? Where are you in my life? Sometimes it feels like we're waiting for God to catch up to the storm in our lives. Where are you? But see, the problem is, is that our eyes are on the storm. Our eyes are on the storm. Sometimes it just seems like Jesus is sleeping on us, right? Wake up, God! Where are you? I've been calling out your name. 
Are you asleep up there? See, remember the, the time when Jesus is in the boat with his disciples? And I'm not talking about the time that we know of, right? We usually think of Peter walking on the water, but there's another event that happened before that. That Jesus is in a boat with his disciples, and they set sail, and there's a bunch of boats that go out. And Mark 4 records it. It says they went out, and the storms were raging. The boats were being buffeted. It's crazy. And what is Jesus doing? What is Jesus doing in Mark 4? Sleeping. He's down in the stern, down in the boat, hidden. He's sleeping. And there's the disciples, wrestling to control the situation, fearful. And finally they get a bright idea. Oh, let's go get Jesus. Let's go wake him up. But listen to what they say. Don't you care if we will drown? Are you sleeping on the job, Jesus? Look at this. See, the problem is, is their eyes were on the storm before their eyes were on Jesus. And Jesus rebukes the winds. And it's completely calm. He said, what are you so afraid of? Do you still have no faith? You see, Jesus wasn't rebuking them for not having enough faith to still the storm. That's what we think, right? As believers, as some of you Christ followers, you think, man, if I just believe hard enough, I'm going to change all the winds. Man, I may even pick up this boat and carry it over myself. I mean, I'm just going to do it in my own strength and power. But he's not rebuking them that they can't still the storm, that they can't control it. Jesus rebukes them for believing the storm is bigger than him. They think the storm is bigger than Jesus. Where are you? Wake up, Jesus. And Jesus rebukes him for not having enough faith to stay calm in the storm, especially with him on board. So often to us, our storms are much greater than Jesus, even when he's standing right next to us. That's why he's rebuking them. Jesus is wanting a courage in them, a courage to face things as they are, not as they wish them to be. So often we just hunker down and we're paralyzed with fear. And we're like, I just want the thing to change. I just want circumstances to change. I just don't want it to be this way. Make it go away, make it go away, make it go away. And he's saying, no, take heart, take courage. I want you to see that you can face this with me. See, faith is not necessarily the power to make things the way we want them to be. We want that, right? In American Christianity, let's get a, a little magic spell and go ding, and life will be good, right? That's what we want. But faith is not necessarily the power to make things the way we want them to be. It is the courage to face things as they are with Jesus. To know that Jesus is there. That goodness and mercy will catch up to you. Joy does come in the morning. That he will wake up in the boat, people. And he will calm your storm. Don't forget that he's there. You see, here's the deal. We start with the problem before we start with God. And here's the idolatry in that. And I just called it, it's idolatry. Your storm suddenly becomes bigger than God. And some of you think God's the problem. Well, God's just doing this to me. It, man, he, how could he do this? But he's not. The problem is your view of God is too small. The problem is my view of God is too small. The Bible gives us perspective. In this world you will have trouble, Jesus said. Trouble will find you. Remember our verse? Trouble is going to find you. But goodness and mercy will always catch up with you. God is chasing you into your destination. Sometimes he's dragging you, right? You ever been, ever been like, I'm going the other way, and he's like, nope, you're coming this way. Sometimes he's walking right beside you, and sometimes he's carrying you. 
because your life is filled with benomi, with sorrow. And you're like, I can't do it, God. You're going to have to carry me. I can't do it. You're, I'm too fearful. I'm looking at my problems, God. But he's right beside you. And it may seem like he's sleeping on the job, but he's not. Mercy, grace, goodness will catch up with you. You see, I'm optimistic because the solution came before the problem. The solution came before the problem. You see, nothing passes or comes into your life that hasn't passed the throne first. For some of you, that can be a little unsettling, but let me show you why it's good. Because God already has the answer. God already has the supply before the problem. God provides the supply before the need. Let me put it to you this way. The problem you're facing, the predicament that weighs you down, didn't come first. The provision came first. We get it backwards. We get into the midst of a problem, and it's overwhelmed. This is the problem. And I hope maybe God has a solution. Maybe God has an answer. I don't know. I mean, he's kind of failed me before. I don't know. But that's not what the scriptures say. It says the supply, that the answer was there before the problem. God provides the supply before the need. Let me ask you this, and this is a trick question. It may sound like a trick question, but it's not. What came first, the last Adam or the first Adam? You can talk to me. You can talk louder. <laughs> hey, I'm a musician. I'm kind of deaf up here. You know, what's up? It's not a trick question. Brian Leg on the front row for 10 points. The last Adam. Let me ask that same question this way. Who came first, Jesus or Adam? That's who we're talking about. Jesus did. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. But the world and all creation was created by Him and through Him before He ever set foot on earth. Which came first, sin or salvation? Paul tells us we are chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. Revelation 13.8 speaks of Christ as the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. What? That's crazy. See, before there was a Garden of Eden, there was a cross on Calvary. God already met the need. What does it mean? It means there exists no need in your life, no need in your life that God, by His grace, has not already met. This includes the sin you're struggling with, your marriage that needs help. Whatever that desert time is for you, whatever problem, great or small. But here's the problem. Most people don't work with God's supply, and it's right there. We want the quick fix, fast spiritual food, right? But that's not reality or relationship. That's McDonald's. That's across the street. And that kind of spirituality produces starvation you're facing desert times you see the things that grow in the desert have you seen the things that grow in the desert they're beautiful they're beautiful but you know why they're beautiful things that grow in the desert can stay alive through the harshest of desert winds and drought because their roots are forced to reach deep into the ground to reach the life-giving water below it's a picture of our roots when we allow it to when we reach down into holy spirit into this life-giving water, into the supply. Because of that, they stay alive because their roots stabilize them and the water nourishes them. See, problems push our roots deeper into Christ. It's not what we want. 
It's not the point I wanted to give this morning. I would love to give a different point. But problems, if we will allow them, that's the key. We'll push our roots deeper into Christ. Listen to what it says in Ephesians. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love, keeping you strong. See, as you go deeper into Christ, it's there you experience more of the water, the spiritual power, the wonder-working power of God, and the comfort you need. And we only go deeper by realizing that our future is greater than our present pain. You see, I'm optimistic because my future is greater than my present pain. You see, Jesus, right, there was a Sunday, but there was a Friday before there was a Sunday, right? Before there was a resurrection, there was a cross. So how did he think through those times? How did he get through the worst day that any man has ever gone through? How did he go through that? Because like I said earlier, it's not about what I feel or see. It's what God says that determines my optimism. So how did Jesus get through the storm? He had his eyes on a destination and a future. The Bible says we have a pioneer who has gone before us. Let me read this to you in Hebrews. Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. You have a purpose. You have a race. I didn't mean you all. You. Point to yourself. I have a race. I have a purpose. God has called me to run the race with endurance. Verse 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Here he goes. Here's the key. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In other words, there was something on Sunday he could set his eyes on that said you can make it through your Friday. And we need to look to the pioneer in the trials and the testing and the things that seem to be weighing us down. See, all of us know that if we're going to do anything meaningful in life, we're going to have difficulties along the way. I don't know why we have the illusion that it won't be that way, but we do. And certainly, Jesus had incredible difficulties. Incredible difficulties. And the Bible says we have a race to be run with endurance. And that if we're going to be victorious in running that race, we are going to have to learn to think like Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. You see, the Bible calls us overcomers. I know you don't feel it. I know you may not see it in your circumstances right now, but that's how powerful the Word of God is. The Bible calls His children overcomers. That's what is spoken over your life. Even if you feel defeated right now, even if you're like, man, I've said some things to God that I, there's no way. He calls you an overcomer. Wherever you're at, He says, nope, you're an overcomer. That's my son. That's my daughter. I know your heart's breaking. You can overcome that. You're an overcomer. It's truth spoken over you. You are an overcomer. But see what overcomers are able to do is when they get in the midst of a problem, overcomers are able to focus on a future goal, something positive that's going to happen in their future as a result of putting their faith in God. Despite the problem I'm going through right now, 
I focus on what Jesus focused on, what the Bible calls the joy set before me. See, we are all going to have difficulties in our lives, but some people become so overwhelmed, so stuck, to the point that it keeps them from achieving what God wants them to achieve, and they're stuck. And what happens when you get stuck, it's the worst thing, because you get mad at God, you don't want to be with the people of God, and you don't want to be around the things of God. I've been there. What about you? But the way an overcomer thinks is whenever they're in the midst of a very difficult circumstance, they're able to focus past the circumstance on something positive in the future that motivates them to get through it. And that's exactly what it's saying in Hebrews that Jesus did. If you don't learn to think like Jesus, who for the joy was set before him, was able to get through the worst day that any human has experienced, mockery, beaten, you'll get stuck. And you won't run the race with endurance. You see, your race is to fulfill God's purpose for your life. You have purpose. Your race is to do what you know God is calling you to do. But you also know that you're going to go through storms. And you also know you have an enemy. And it's the same enemy Jesus had. You have the devil who does not want you to run the race with endurance. He wants you to give up. Just give up. Give up. He doesn't want you to, to fulfill your purpose or your calling that you have in Christ Jesus. And you may want to write this down. I wish I'd put this in your outline. But your faith begins by believing there's something better in your future. Your faith begins by believing there's something better in your future. We are to be a people of hope and faith. I'm not saying that we feel that all the time. But that's what we're called to. You see... If it wasn't faith, if it, if it was just happened right now, it wouldn't take faith to believe it, right? If it just appeared before us, it wouldn't take faith. Our faith begins and ends with a thought, a biblical reality that there is something better in my future. And if I will endure, God will reward me in my future. That's the nature of hope. And it says he's the author and perfecter of our faith. And he, even though he was having to endure the cross itself, despising the shame on Friday. Jesus wasn't thinking about Friday. He was thinking about Sunday. And he had a promise on Friday. We're going to talk about that promise in a second. A promise for his future. And that was his secret. For the joy set before him. By the way, do you know that Jesus experienced the darkest of discouragement? I think we're embarrassed as Christians, like, if I'm discouraged. But Jesus experienced intense discouragement, rejection, pain, fear, to the point of sweating blood. He understands. But I believe discouragement is the main weapon that Satan uses against the children of God. When he comes to you, he's like, I'm going to discourage them so they no longer believe. I'm going to discourage the fool out of them. I believe that's Satan's main weapon against the children of God. Anytime you're trying to do anything meaningful for the Lord, the devil is going to try to discourage you and keep you from doing it. Anytime you're going through a storm, the devil is going to discourage you that it will never get better, that the storm is too strong for you. And it's just this constant barrage of discouragement the devil throws at us. 
And I believe it's the main thing we have to overcome. Discouragement. It's the main thing we have to overcome. So I want to talk to you quickly towards the end here of the two types of thinking. The way overcomers think and the thinking the devil wants for you. The part of thinking the devil wants to trap you in, I'm going to call it this. I'm going to call it photographic thinking. And you, older people, I'm older, so I can say this. You remember the old Polaroid cameras? Remember that sound? It's sort of picture that. It's these snapshots, these Polaroid things. And that's the, he wants to trap us in photographic thinking. See, photographic thinking is the kind of thinking that the devil comes to us in a bad time in our life. And he takes a snapshot of where we are right now. And he convinces us that that's our final point. That that's our Friday. That it's never going to get better than that moment. That snapshot. That's it. End of story. Friday's it. That's all you got. Here's an example. Any uh, young parents in the room? You know, it's sort of like you're parenting and your kid gets crazy and people are like, look at that kid, you know, and they're, they're crazy. And then Satan comes to you, takes a snapshot of that moment. He says, you just failed as a parent. I mean, how, how did you have offspring anyway? How could you do that? How could you do this to the world? I mean, they already committed two misdemeanors and a felony and they're only five years old. You know, come on. You're the worst parents. I can't believe it. They're going to grow up and man, they're going to reject truth and God and, and everything and just walk away. Or he takes a snapshot of your marriage when you're going through great difficulty and he rubs your face in it. He says, this is as good as it's ever going to get. You know what? You might as well just go cheat with that person at the office. You might as well just leave your husband or wife because this is it. This snapshot right here, Friday's it. It's, it's over. And he rubs your face in it. It says, this is as good as it will ever get. See, he tries to trap you in the moment so you can't see joy on the other side. He wants to trap you in the moment so you can't see joy on the other side. He traps you in that moment when your health is at its worst, your finances, when you're going through difficulty in your marriage or business or job change. The devil uses photographic thinking to discourage us and get us negative. And then we blame everybody else. That's what he does plasters it right up on our faces, past snapshots along with current ones, and tries to make us convinced that there's nothing good on the other side. He wants you to look at the future through the lens of what's wrong. And it's called this in the Bible, a spirit of fear. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 1.7 that God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but of power, love, and I love, sometimes it's self-control, but I love the translation of a sound mind because our minds need to be renewed with the word of God. And he comes to us and makes us fearful. See, a spirit of fear says your future is even worse than your present. If he can't convince you that it will never get better than today, then he wants you to see everything worse in the future. Worse in your marriage, worse in your finances, worse in your addictions. And that's thinking in fear terms. See, every time I've been worried, every time I've been deeply discouraged, I can go back and see these snapshots. I can go back and look at this photographic thinking that I'm having. And that's thinking in fear terms. It will never get better than today, or it's only going to get worse. He doesn't want you to think that the solution came before the problem. He doesn't want you to think that your future is greater than your present pain and that Jesus is in the storm. If that's you, if you're like, I'm stuck on Friday, that's it, I'm done. 
there is hope in the name of Jesus. Let me show you the second kind of thinking. And I struggle with the name of this, but it's called prophetic thinking. And all that is, because I love our church, because we got Charismatics and Presbyterians, and, and the Charismatics are like, yeah, he called it prophetic thinking. And then the, the Presbyterians are like, oh, Brian just got weird. We may be walking out soon. Don't get weirded out. It's cool, okay? But the second kind of thinking is called prophetic thinking. All it is is biblical thinking. But this is why I didn't call it that. Because it's when the Bible applies to your heart. It changes your mind and your heart. It's really walking by faith. And this in no way denies what we're going through right now. In fact, it realizes the difficulties I'm in today. But prophetic thinking says it's difficult. But I have a promise from God. And it's going to be okay. And I struggle with that at times. Sometimes I get fearful. And it's hard for me to believe. But you know what? I'm going to believe that God is greater than my circumstances. Tomorrow is going to be okay. Because God will be in tomorrow. And you know what? He's in my today. And God is greater than my heart and my feelings. And can He handle me? He can comfort me when it's painful. See, when you look at photographic thinking, the negative stuff, it's incomplete thinking. It's not biblical thinking. Photographic thinking only looks at current circumstances, but it not denies the power of God. It denies the reality of God. It denies the miracle working power of God. It denies His grace and mercy that will catch up to you. And it denies that He is sovereign. Let me put it this way. Reality minus God equals fear. And reality is pretty scary out there, right? But reality minus God equals fear. But biblical thinking is full thinking. It's inclusive. It's based on the word of God. Remember the 12 spies that go into the promised land? 10 come back out. Remember 10 is a, t- a tithe. It's a test. 10 come back. And what do they say? Well, yeah, it has milk and honey. It's amazing. But there's giants there. And we were like grasshoppers in their sight. In our own sight. Unbelief. But Joshua and Caleb said, yes, there are giants there, but we have a promise. God has promised to make them our lunch. We will go in there. We will take that land. See, that's full thinking. It's biblical thinking. It's believing the promises of God. It's not the power of positive thinking. It's God's word. See, the devil is going to come. There will be a Friday in your life. You may be going through a Friday right now. There's going to come a time when Satan is going to trap you in a dark moment and shove in your face that everything God has said is a lie, that you're foolish to believe him. He doesn't have your best interests in mind. And you're going to have to say to the devil, I declare that God has spoken to me and it is truth. I stand on his word. I stand on the specific words the Holy Spirit has given me. I stand on the finished work of Christ. I will not give up on God's will for me. You see, we walk by faith, not by sight. There's a reality beyond this reality. Faith is founded on his promises. The joy that was set before him was in the unseen realm. Think about what Jesus went through. Everything he saw was dark. It was a mockery of the Son of God. But Jesus had a promise on Friday that carried him through till Sunday. Let me show you that promise. That promise that Jesus had on Friday 
on the way to the cross. Now, what this is called, this is in the Psalms. It's called a prophetic messianic psalm. What that means is this is Jesus speaking before he ever touched the earth through David. And the Holy Spirit is moving David to write what Jesus says before he went to the cross. It's pretty awesome. Psalm 16, here we go. You will not abandon my soul in Sheol, the grave. Again, this is Jesus talking to the Father before the cross. Nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life. And in your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Don't you know that before the cross, Satan was mocking Jesus, discouraging him. It was a time when evil was winning. You can hear what he said to him. Your father's going to abandon you. You're going to be crucified thinking you're the savior of the world. But you're a joke. And they're going to put you in that tomb and you're going to stay there. Your father's not going to bring you out. And your body is going to rot in that tomb. And Satan is having his way with the son of God as he's being nailed to the cross. And the devil is hammering. Jesus trying to get him so discouraged to believe that Friday is his death day. And there's nothing beyond that. But Jesus quotes a promise from his father. You will not let me see corruption. You will save me. And in your presence is fullness of joy. And that's where I'm going, devil. And my father, at his right hand, are pleasures forevermore. And that's the joy I'm keeping before me. See, he had a promise from God. So we've got to learn to be a promise people and pick up the word of God and war with truth and not let our problems overwhelm us and cause us to be negative. We need to get into the Bible. Guys, we are not in the Bible. The word of God, the Holy Spirit, he wants to guide you into all truth. He wants to show you the promises for the very moment that you have right now. He wants to lead you in that kind of thinking to be overcomers, but we're not in his word. You cannot let yourself be controlled by what you see or feel. There's a reality beyond this reality, and that's what Jesus was looking at. He was looking at Sunday, and he knew the Father had promised him he will not abandon him. Where are you at? Are you stuck on Friday? Can you see that there's truth? Can you see the truth that there is a future for you? Can you see that today is not the end of the story? This isn't your Friday. There's a Sunday. There's resurrection power in Christ. Where are you at? Are you fearful? You may think this is your Friday. But Jesus says, this is where I, I turn it on the best. This is where I get busy. This is where we show the devil what's up. And Sunday is coming. Your Sunday is on the way. As the band comes up, I want to read one last verse to you. It's one, it's one of my favorite verses. I say this about every verse. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Oh, let me read this. Don't live on Friday. Look for Sunday. Satan wants you stuck on Friday. But Romans 8 says this. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, think of what that encompasses, death nor life, neither angels nor demons, 
neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us, separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. No thing, no thing can separate you. No man, no demon, no circumstance. There's a Sunday on the way for you. For some of you, you're like, I don't even know Christ. You can't do this unless you know Jesus. It's in his strength and power that we overcome. He's the one that calms the storm, not us. And he can calm your storm. Some of you need to give your life to Jesus today. The Bible just says if we simply call on the name of Jesus, we will be saved. And some of you need to say, I don't understand everything, but I know he came, died on the cross for forgiveness of my sins, and I need him. Forgive me, Lord. Jesus, I believe in you. You just need to say that. And I want to lead you in a second in a prayer. Just with every eyes bowed, every eyes closed, every head bowed. This isn't a magic formula. This is simply just crying out to Jesus and saying, I need eternal life. I need you in my life. I need you to forgive my sins. That I'm in a Friday right now, and I need you, Jesus. You alone can calm my storm. So as I pray this, just pray this to yourself, not out loud. But just pray, Lord Jesus. Forgive me of all my sins. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Baptize me in your spirit. Lead me into all truth. I know that I'm eternally saved when I believe in you. In Jesus' name, amen. And maybe you're a believer here. You're just discouraged. We all go through it. We all have the Ben-Nomi circumstances in our lives that crush us. Call out to Him. Seek His face. Seek after Him. When you seek Him with all your heart, He will let Himself be found by you. Seek Him with all your heart. Seek Him with all your heart. Turn off the TV. Turn off all the other junk in your life. Get in God's Word. His Spirit is calling you, but the voice of this world is so loud and you're so in tune with that and you're so led astray that you can't get to the place of health and you're stuck you're stuck on Friday and you're not running the race with endurance you're not fulfilling the purpose God has called you to purpose and to a race to endure call on his name once again I just want to pray over you if that's you if you say I'm stuck on Friday I just want to pray over you Lord God I just ask that for all those who are stuck on Friday God that your resurrection power would just engulf them, God, that your peace, the peace that passes understanding, as we give thanks in every circumstance, every circumstance, we give thanks to you, that you would flood them right now, God, that your anointing would be upon this place, God, that you'd be drawing people to yourself. Lord, I pray for those who are just brokenhearted, that just need to be carried, God, I just pray that you carry them, carry them, God, to a place where they can stand again, to stand in your power and your strength, God. Lord, we love you. You're our only hope, God. There is nothing else we look to. Our eyes look to you, to you alone, Lord. You are our Savior. You are the amazing one. You are the righteous one. We praise you, King of kings, Lord of lords. Fill this place as we worship you in spirit and truth. In Jesus' name, amen.